I think this one is a good one. I think this one has some insight. This episode was motivated by my ADD episode, my last one. I mentioned that towards the end of this. And that's kind of cool because I didn't think that episode, episode 86, was that great. (laughs) I didn't really want to do it. I was tired, but I had to get a certain amount of episodes out in the month because I do a certain amount minimum in a month. But it gave birth to an idea that I mentioned in this about me stumbling on the concept of the potential. Have I put enough precursors to that? of quitting depression, giving it up. There's a lot more to it, so sit back and uh, relax. This episode covers discipline, not in the dirty word. You know, ugh, discipline, ugh. No thanks. No, talks about motivation. And a whole lot more. There's some stories in there too. So thank you for listening to Psychotherapy. That's the name of the show, by the way. This is episode 87 and look, I didn't even do that beginning thing. I'm just doing it at the end. So episode 87, Psychotherapy. I'm Jet Dunlap. And uh, let's get right into it. Here's the show. Thanks for listening. How do you stay so motivated? How do you guys stay so motivated? Question was asked of me yesterday in a text from a family member who is unbelievably educated and... Uh, you would think would look at a couple of crumb bums like myself and my wife. I shouldn't include her in my crumb bummery, but uh, <laughs> it sounds funny. How do you stay motivated? Now, naturally, I wouldn't say that Gina falls into that category. She doesn't like not being busy, but motivated, I think, is a little different. I think of motivation as being something that makes you want to do something that uh, is out of the normal or is something that is new and different. Did I say something enough times? This concept for the episode hit me like a bolt of lightning. That's uh, Dr. Emmett Brown from Back to the Future when he's talking about 1.21 gigawatts of electricity. For those of you cinephiles, don't let your life be easy. It used to be, like I was saying before, that I'd say adversity. Adversity will really give you a uh, constant nagging feeling in your soul and brain that you need to be doing something so it wasn't easy for me growing up we were very busy Uh, we had jobs on the weekend with the family I had jobs on the weekday and then I had school it was just something that became a way of my life and then that bled into my my mo all the way through my 20s so that's 10 years just writing the current of my work ethic which is different than motivation from when I was a kid to when I was 30. Now, I'm still 30, of course, but that's because of quantum physics and uh, black holes and string theory and uh, dark matter. It's too complex to explain to a layman. That's what it was for the first 10 years. After that, the best example, when I moved into a situation where there is no daily job. But because of that, how do you stay motivated? Well, five years ago, we moved into a full-time campground. We had to build everything that I see as I look around outside and everything on the inside of our home. So we took nothing and turned it into something. Even the negotiation and the bringing our home here, the constant work on it is a part of motivation. And here's what I mean by that. Today I woke up like you did, okay? 
I woke up early. I looked at what I had to do. I had breakfast with my wife, which is a luxury I enjoy because we're not having to run off to work. I look over at my readout on the dash and it tells me my current voltage running through my 12 volt system. I have two six volt batteries in a network style and then a 12 volt deep cycle marine battery that runs everything at the house, runs the solar panels, all this stuff that I would confuse you if I went into any more detail than I already have. So every single week I have to run the cycle of batteries on the RV, make sure the trickle chargers are working, clean off the connections, run the black and gray water tanks, then jet them. Then I have to run the RV itself and run my 5,500 watt generator. And you're thinking, what in the world does this have to do with anything? That is what I have to do regularly to maintain this place. Clean the solar panels. Make sure the air ride suspension is filled and free of leaks. I also had to fill the RV up with gas that I keep here today. Why am I telling you all this? That is nothing compared to the other maintenance. You know, our refrigerator's outside. I have not showered indoors for almost two years. My outdoor shower is pretty far away from us, but it takes a propane tank that I had to fill up two days ago. Our house runs on a propane tank that we have to fill up once a month. Are you getting this? How do I stay motivated? We're always busy. If your life is easy and you've made your life easy, it's almost impossible to be motivated. Myself and my wife have never used Grubhub. I've never used Postmates. We'll probably get a pizza once every two months. We did that yesterday. We got it after we went to the gym and uh, we picked it up. We don't use any of the conveniences that make it easier to be lazy. This isn't intentional necessarily, you know? I mean, we still have, we still have Wi-Fi and we still, I mean, we're not churning our own butter here. We buy our butter. But I figured out probably about eight years ago that my brain does not work well with easy. I want to use a fictional person because I don't want to call anyone out in my family. But I know someone who uh, never leaves his room, always had everything ordered to him, had pizza probably once every other day. The rest of his meals were grub hub to his house. Didn't have a job. His life was so easy and it was made so easy because he depended on other people that he was a reflection of that ease. And when I would talk to him years ago when we were, still knew each other, he would ask me how I was motivated. And first off, the rule of conservation of energy, which is actually the concept of energy cannot be created or destroyed, but people use it in the concept when it applies to sociology. They talk about how humans naturally want to go into a homeostasis of laziness, right? When you wake up in the morning, if you have to wake up early for work, do you <laughs> want to press the snooze button like everyone else? Of course you do. We were made to want to sleep and we were made to choose the path of least resistance. Here's the trick. There is no satisfaction in that life. And there's not really a choice. I was actually on the phone with someone right now who was talking about someone who's very lazy. And we both know this individual. And we were, he was saying uh, that this person had made choices to be lazy. And I said, no, they haven't. 
they've made no choice. Making a choice to be lazy could kind of be like, you know, the Dalai Lama, the Buddha, Eckhart Tolle didn't work or do anything for years, but it was intentional. He was trying to connect with the universe. He was actively trying non-participation for a higher level of connection to something larger than himself. These people that are lazy or the lazy person inside of us chooses nothing. Watching TV is not an action. It is a lack of an action. It's a lack of a choice. And now the next TV show and the next TV show and the next TV show that you like starts right after each other. When I was young, you had a TV show you liked and then afterwards, what are you going to do? Watch the terrible thing that's after that? And let's say you like both shows. I remember at one point, and this was a real dream for me, (laughs) it was like, again, don't do the math, but there was at one point on Fox Network, it had uh, the critic with uh, John Lovitz, animated series, The Simpsons, and then Family Guy. And I was in hog heaven. Like, I looked forward to this day of the week. I think it was Sunday. Because these were my favorite shows. So I had three shows in a row that I was excited about for once a week, and that was an hour and a half of television total. Now I can watch every episode of The Simpsons back to back to back, and there's over 600. And I do (laughs) at night, not all of them at once, but I watch The Simpsons every night. My point is that it is easier to ignore our little voice that says laziness is not the answer. It is easier than ever to do that. And the conservation of energy thing is that if left to its own devices, your body just wants to do nothing. But the paradox is that you gain no satisfaction in life from that. When I couldn't take my life anymore after seven years of sobriety, and I was at a point where Gina Gina was having such a hard time dealing with my sadness and my depression and my comparison of my life year over year. We're coming back from San Simeon, a trip that we take every year with our family in May during the holiday weekend. I have less now, much less than then. But during that seven years of sobriety, I did not want to keep facing the same day. It was like a really bad Groundhog's Day. I'd try my, not like Groundhog's Day, the actual day of the year, but the movie with Bill Murray. I would try my hardest at everything I wanted to do with my life and just get destroyed. But it wasn't just work. Everything felt like it was going against me. The doctors thought I had cancer of the liver. Then the doctors thought I had leukemia. Then I had all these diseases that doctors couldn't diagnose. Then they thought I had liver cancer. This kept going on when I was sober and trying to be a good guy. Then I was trying really hard at work. Then I was trying really hard at my business and all these things. And I was at my wits end. We had decided that maybe I should start drinking again. And I talked to a person at AA, which I don't go to, don't subscribe to. And it's not my recommendation. They've done a lot of good for a lot of people. But the more I found out about them and in my personal experience, it didn't work. But I found out from someone who was in that, they said the same thing that I did, which was this guy said when he started drinking again after a long break, like me, it was like grabbing a fire extinguisher. So he did it not because it was uh, the best choice, but because it was better than self-destruction or in you know the metaphor sense, the house burning down. So we decided that I should start drinking again. And I wanted to hit another milestone in my sobriety before I started drinking. So it wasn't a relapse at all. I chose a specific date that was a couple of months out, and that's when we started. 
or I started. I keep saying we as if there's a mouse in my pocket or as if Gina had anything to do with that. Gina's never been a drinker, never liked drinking, never had a problem with it because she doesn't like it. But I did it because I wanted to not feel that pain. It worked. As they say, at first it's fun, then it's fun with problems, then it's problems. And that cycle varies, but that's how it is. I think that most people who have alcohol as a large part of their life, whether or not they deem themselves as alcoholic, will find that alcohol runs through that cycle. Fun, fun with problems, and then just problems. But I did it because of this conservation of energy thing. I wanted to relax. I didn't want to have in the back of my head that thing saying that you keep having to go, 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 Jet. Don't stop. I mean, hell, my name is Jet. It's the whole idea of I need to just keep going as fast as possible. Keep doing as much as I can. And so when I'd have a drink at the end of the day, I'd pop the top on that bottle, take a couple of sips, and I could hear the birds. I could relax. Right now I'm helping another friend of mine through hypnosis uh, quit drinking. And when he talks about drinking, it's not at all different than me. Every person who's ever drank feels like they're special, but it's the same for most people. He said, when I drink at the end of the day, it's like washing my day off. It's the only part of my day I look forward to. Now, the only part of my day I look forward to is just something that we say, you know, like that'll kill me. (laughs) I hate that guy. I just want to kill him. That's hyperbole. It's not real, but I know what he means, but it's not special. Now, why am I talking about this? Because I'm trying to tell you that I too fall into the pattern of conservation of energy. I fall into the pattern of wanting to have a break. And breaks are good, right? I didn't come to, and I mention it a lot, and it's not bragging, you get this. I didn't come to being a vegetarian who doesn't drink soda, who doesn't drink overnight. These were things that I did. It's funny how they start to happen, actually. I interrupted my own thought there. (laughs) But it's funny how they start to happen. I went to Weight Watchers, and I started going... Okay, what I'll do is I'll just drink my calories. That that had enough negative side effects that when I went to the meeting every week, I'm like, well, that's not working. So I'm like, I'll try and reduce alcohol. Well, I couldn't reduce alcohol. So then I said, ah, hell with it, I'll stop drinking. But about the same time, uh, I think it was, I can't remember which one came first. Oh, the stop eating meat. So I stopped eating meat, then I stopped drinking. You've heard this before. And then it's only 40 days ago that I stopped drinking energy drinks and soda. But... Once you start seeing that you can do that in your life, it leads to something else. But why was I bringing up me drinking? I understand better than most the idea of wanting to do the least amount of stuff. When I was drinking, it was because I thought I was going to have a heart attack from the stress of living where I am. I can't go into every detail, but let me tell you, it was family difficult. It was relationship difficult. It was more physically difficult because of the fact that I was digging my home out of the ground. It was emotionally difficult because of all the financial deals I had to make with the people who lived here before and buying our house and all this stuff. It was at a max point. And I'm no wuss, okay? I can deal with a lot of stress. Every morning that I get out of bed, I have to deal with, you know, the reality of going, ugh, another day is Jet Dunlap. Now, it's not that that's unique, There's less of us than there are happy people, thank God. But I deal with a lot, and at that point, I needed something to break it up. So I drank for a little less than two years. It wasn't as exciting as far as a narrative as you'd want. (laughs) 
I never punched a cop in the face after driving through a red light with my hair on fire while drinking a handle of 151. That's not how it happened. But it was, like I said, fun, fun with problems, and then more problems. And what eventually happened was I wanted to escape my reality too much because I'm one of those lucky ones that uh, likes too much of a good thing and then it becomes a bad thing. So how do you get motivated, right? That was the original question. You know, just little tiny moves. Adversity is an interesting one too because I had a friend, I I keep hating that I can't tell you their names because it sounds like I'm talking about these (laughs) mythological minotaurs. I was going to call them centaurs. That's a different thing that don't exist. It's a real person. But he always used to say when we were young, younger, uh, I don't have any adversity. I wish I had had your childhood so I could have some adversity to overcome. <laughs> and and some of you right now who had a tough childhood are laughing at the idea that someone would go, I wish I had your adversity so I could have some drive. Man, my charmed, beautiful, loving childhood, not that there wasn't any of that in my life. There was plenty of it, but it still ended up being more difficulty than positivity. And you hear that and you're like, you're crazy. You had a great childhood. But sometimes, and in more cases than not, ease of life. All the things you ever wanted being given to you. Look at Generation Z. And I'm sorry if you're in there. I'm not judging your whole generation. I'm talking to it as a concept, right? This generation that was brought up, for the most part, never hearing no. All generations prior, including mine and uh, old millennials, this was the thing that parents said. Do it because I said so. That's what my teachers told me. That's what my parents told me. That's what my bosses told me. So that's the voice I heard in my head. When I was a kid and I saw this Generation Z, the I generation, anyone born after 1994, when I saw them being raised, I heard, you can never say no, never correct them, never tell them what to do, never scold them. Everything they do is right. They have to hear all yeses. And uh, that had some ramifications. Because what ended up happening, and this is still to the point of motivation, is that right now they're trying to change the world to their sensitivities as opposed to changing to the world. I don't like the world. I want everyone to call me this. I want to be special and the same. I want you to treat me uniquely because I'm different than you and I make different choices than you. Here are the 20 words you must use to describe me. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not going to fit into the world as a whole and look at everyone else as unique people. It is treat me better than everyone else because I want to be equal, which you've heard me rant about this a million times, and I'm being vague on purpose, but you can read between the lines. You cannot be special and the same. You can't be equal and the most important. But why am I bringing them up? My brother's in that category. My youngest brother's in that category. Because there are some big disadvantages you were given. And again, I know there's some super motivated people in this uh, category too. So if this doesn't apply to you, then guess what? It doesn't apply to you. Don't get group offended, which you like to do. (laughs) If you said all, I almost said what generation I'm in. The golden agers, that's what I am. The greatest generation. I was born in the 20s. Um, no, I'm a vampire, so I have no generation. But let's say I was associating with Generation X. If you were saying that Generation X was XYZ, 
I wouldn't take offense. I'm actually a millennial, technically. If you said something, I would not take offense to the whole thing. Here's my point. And I don't like talking about stuff like safe spaces on campus. Considering words violence. Read a book. The Coddling of the American Mind. It's a great book. Talks about this. Don't take my word for it. Listen to a bunch of people who have more degrees than a thermometer. Okay? Don't take this dodo bird's word for it. Listen to Malcolm Gladwell. If you create a sterile environment, you change your entire backstory. You change history to the mood you have today. That's going to have dire consequences. The reason I'm talking about this is it goes back to conservation of energy, motivation, and what drives a person. When you go into therapy, and I've been to therapy, been to different therapists, and I've been training to be a therapist for the last year or all of this year. When you sit down in that chair, the best therapists who've read their books, whether it's Jung or Freud, you sit in that chair and they tell you, you can't change the world. All you can do is change how you react to it. And the world includes yourself. I was just listening to my mentor, although I've never met him, Eckhart Tolle. And I was listening to his book because I'm always looking to check myself when I feel a certain way. And he was saying, if someone does something to make you mad or really tick you off, do nothing. If someone's really rude to you or mean to you, you can say, stop it. But don't put a lot of emotion into it, right? So that's if someone really wronged you. Now I'm talking about wronging you. Not wronging your sensitivities of something that you know deep down doesn't matter. You can't pick a fight with everything and be an okay person emotionally. Pick and choose your battles. It's another thing I heard when I was a kid. You can't be all things to all people all the time. You can't have all things all of the time. This is powerful stuff. I brought this up because recently I had someone ask me how I was motivated. I brought it up because someone talked to me the other day when I was doing my hypnotherapy with a client. And they were talking to me about how to quit things. I don't want to. I can't. I can't. I need. I don't have those choices in my life. What did I talk about when I started talking about this lifestyle I've set up for myself? Every day my world needs maintenance. Did you ever see that movie, The Last Samurai, with Tom Cruise? Don't worry, it wasn't appropriation. He wasn't pretending to be Japanese. There's a whole backstory of that. He was in the Civil War. Great movie. But there's a elegance the Japanese culture does on a daily basis. Is it all of them? No. So don't think I'm speaking in generalities here. To drinking tea, there's a ceremony to it. There is... A desire for perfection in all things. You can't be perfect. But these routines, these actions beget more of themselves. How many times have I said that? I water my plants. I clean my porch every morning. We clean the glass. I level the RV. I check the voltage. I didn't know how to do all this when I got here. I make sure everything is in a state of correct operation. The systems that I operate in, I make sure and maintain them. The batteries in my little podcast studio here, 
that's a, like Back to the Future. This uh, portable television studio. When he's looking at that uh, eight millimeter VHSC recorder that Marty McFly has, Doc Brown. Horrible impression of Christopher Lloyd, but you know I'm good for it. You'll forgive me, right? We're friends. But I have to maintain these things. When someone comes to a thing and they're like, my camera's out of batteries. I'm out of memory on my card. My car doesn't have gas in it. My tires aren't full. I don't want to go into examples again, but yeah, I get into people's cars and their tires are flat. And they're like, oh, I guess my tires are flat. Come on, guys. Don't do that. Last time we did the cleaning around our house, I said, I want every spot I can't see to be clean because I know it's not. Steve Jobs, when he had the uh, first Macs being made, he wanted the circuitry internally to look beautiful. And then that first iMac, the one that was like that bubble thing that was clear, that looked like some kind of M&M style deal that was pastel. He wanted that to look so good that you could see through it and see that even the internal engineering was beautiful. And he wanted to put a handle on it so it was approachable so you could just grab it. He put thought in everything. It's a style of engineering. Now, I'm not an engineer, but I like all my stuff to be in order. Gina just went through all of our paperwork, all of our scripts, and organized them and labeled them. And that's not in her nature. Not by a million miles. But she's doing it now. When you come home and you grab for a thing and there it is, oh my God. You've just done a, uh, a Zen practice. Well, Jet, what does this have to do with motivation? A lot of demotivation stops you from being motivated. Walking outside and seeing a mess. Walking in your bathroom and seeing your curling iron and your blow dryer and all your makeup and everything. And I'm talking to the dudes, obviously. Your razor in the sink demotivates you. Do you see what I'm saying? When you see these movies in my dream, did you ever see the movie Tron Legacy? Everyone hated it. Not me. I loved it. I thought it was great. And Daft Punk was awesome in that. But that house that Jeff Bridges lived in, in the movie, right? It was sterile. You see these multi-million dollar houses in the Hollywood Hills and they're sterile. People look at him and Gina looks at him and she's like, ooh, that's not good looking. That's modern. You can do the same thing in an art deco, arts and crafts house. But let me tell you what happens in a sterile house. Our house can hold almost nothing in it. It's made for traveling. It's made for a weekend excursion, a week at tops. Sure, you could do two weeks, but you're going to have to really figure out your organization. We have to cycle things out. Today, I took all of my winter clothes out, stored them, and brought in all my summer clothes. I had to cycle it out. Imagine what that does for you. When you go into that bathroom in the morning that doesn't have all that clutter I just told you about, and you're planning on doing something that day that you haven't done before, something you want to do, the mental baggage that seeing that clutter put on your brain just made it more difficult to do that new thing. This episode came out of yesterday's episode. Yeah, that's right. I did one yesterday. I've been on a roll. Yesterday's episode or last episode, the one about ADD, blah, 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 like people say. That episode was not my favorite episode, but you know what happened? Just by dialoguing with you guys, dialoguing with you in Menorah, for many reasons. Mono because I'm only speaking to myself and mono because I'm only speaking from one vocal source. What a nerd! What an audiophile! What is he talking about? Anyway, it was a 
different kind of an episode, a little more scattered episode. But you know what I realized? I thought, and I'm working on it, guys, so I'm going to keep you in touch with it on a regular basis, okay? I make you that promise. I thought, what if I could quit depression like quitting smoking? I'm putting no science into this. I'm going to try willpower. I'm going to try meditation. I'm going to try a bunch of things. I'm just giving you a tease of this. It'll probably be more of a subject in the next episode, but here's the thing. Right before I get depressed, right before I become very sad, I feel something, a pain in my chest. And then I just, every disappointment my life has ever given me just rushes in. So I thought, that pain feels a lot like the pain of, I want a cigarette or I want to drink, right? Or I want to eat that entire birthday cake. (laughs) I had a birthday yesterday, and today the leftovers are here, and my spouse isn't here. I want to eat that whole cake and then tell my spouse I threw it in the trash. How many of you guys have eaten cake out of the trash? Huh? We've all done it. Don't feel ashamed. We're all a bunch of trash cake eaters. So I thought, what if I can quit depression? It's going to be, most likely, my grandest foe. Alcohol was no picnic, but this is something my body has gotten used to. Unlike dyslexia and ADD, which I talked about in the last episode, which are neurological misfires, this is something that has a chemical precursor and an emotional trigger. What I'm saying is, I have a precursor before I get depressed. I have a sensation not a trigger. I have a sensation. What if I could teach myself through habit to change the reaction to that sensation? Pretty profound, right? I put it in my journal as how to quit depression. How to quit depression. Imagine if I could teach you guys how to do that by trying it myself. That came out of a nonsense episode, but what did it take to do that episode? And this is what brings this whole show full circle. It took discipline. I was tired yesterday when I did that episode on the ADD one. I was tired. But in that episode, it gave me the seed for the idea to try and quit depression, which I've never heard in any of the hundreds of books I've read. That's why we do the things that we don't want to do, because it might change our life. And if it doesn't change your life in a profound spark like that, I mean, listen, it took me not even 86 episodes, because sure, it was 86 episodes, but you guys know that it was probably closer to 100, because there's a lot of episodes I don't air. So it took me 100. (laughs) That's a goofy laugh, but there it is. So it didn't happen overnight. It came from doing things I don't want to do. And this show is another example of that. I mean, I've used it before. You guys have heard it at this moment when I record this. My loyal, beautiful, wonderful, sexy listeners, you know I'm not getting paid. I'm getting nothing. No one shakes my hand on the streets and says, hey, Jet, great job on the show. Changed my life. Saved my daughter. My cat was in a burning building and your show took it right out. Doesn't happen. But I do it because I've told myself I would and I do. I think you can learn a lot about discipline in this episode. I think you can learn a lot about motivation in this episode. And if not, maybe there's something in this just like when I did my episode the other day about ADD that gave me the seed of the idea for quitting depression. Maybe there's something in this that I can't even guess you could learn. 
because your subconscious is listening to this in a different way than I could ever imagine. That is the gift you give me, and it is invisible. I just feel it. I feel that this show will happen in a way that brings great benefit to the maximum amount of people. And that's the goal. The goal is to have the knowledge that is fed to me through experience and through something else to get to the most amount of people, to help the most amount of people. My friend Chris asked me the other day, he said, do you really care about people as much as you say you do on the show? Yes, more than you could ever imagine. This show came out of death. Came out of the death of my grandfather, my favorite person in the world, and the death of a friend of mine who killed himself. Came out here to pursue his passion as an actor in film and television, then went back home and couldn't live with the disappointment that was going on in his life. So yes, I do this show because I care about you. Yes, you mean something to me. And I understand why you asked me. But I wouldn't do this every time just for my own benefit. You think I listen to this? I have to edit it. That's a nightmare. I don't listen to this. But I mean, imagine if it really was a reason. <laughs> what a narcissist. I just want to hear myself. I could just record it and listen to it without uploading it. Anyway, I'm out of words. I hope the intensity and the intention of this episode wasn't lost and I'll end there but uh thank you so much for letting me into your ears good luck and i'll talk to you next time for psychotherapy i'm jet dunlap thanks for listening (laughs) 